0: I couldn't figure out, I, I've been more into this as of lately. I, I would say the first seven or eight years, I never even thought about a sermon title. Somebody's like, what are your sermon titles? And I was like, why don't you, you know, for the podcast. I'm like, make one up. I don't care. Um, I've been thinking about them the last couple of years every once in a while. And I think it's partly because Camille, you like asking me for like a, like, give me a title for your ahead time. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to think about it. Um, so Two, two optional titles for you. <laughs> Multiple choice titles. Inconvenient Truth. That's one. And the posture of the truth seeker. Okay. I'll just leave it. How many of you remember... I'm going to be kind of scatter shooting tonight. We're not landing on any texts. I'm throwing some different stuff at you. So just, just hang with me. Um, how many of you... Uh, Remember lunch, the lunch cafeteria in high school, junior high? Okay. So you have some different lunch tables that exist in the high school cafeteria. First of all, we all know that you have the cool table or the popular table. And <laughs> do what? Oh, okay, of course. Thanks for rejecting me, Jerry. Um the cool table you can only come to by invitation. I mean, you can come of your own prerogative, but nobody's going to talk to you. That's the, that's that's the cool table. Um, you also have this is the kind of and at least in my school, and I'm I'm speaking more from a guy's perspective, so, you know, because I'm a guy, and you also have, the um, you have the jock table that's not cool enough to be at the cool table. So it's like the, um, you know, because there's, there's a lot of jocks at the cool table. But yeah, you have, the, you have like the next tier jocks. They're like kind of dorky, but into sports. And then you also have like, you have like the, um, let's call it the nerd table. I mean, these guys are like high GPAs and really good at World of Warcraft. You know, you know what I'm talking about? At my school, you also had the super Christian table. Like, that was like, you know, like, Devo in the middle of, you know, whatever, in the cafeteria. Then all the way down, you have the randoms. The random table. This is the table I sat at. It's like, how do these people fit together? I don't even get it, you know? And it was kind of funny, because... I wasn't accepted by the cool table, but I kind of was friends with 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 all the all the tables. One of those sort of migrate around, but I'm at the table of the randoms. And I realized I had this thought that I grew up in a Christian bubble because I went to a private school and we were inundated with Bible lessons and chapels and I mean, pretty much like I had a Bible class and a chapel every day of my life from preschool to twelfth grade and then also the three days a week at church and Sunday school and all that. So I was like, well, I did grow up in a Christian bubble. But what I, what I realized, I've, I've only actually realized this to this year. I, I, I've been telling this to Andrea. I realized, you know, every one of my friends, all, most of my close friends in high school were all not Christians at all. And I'm not talking like they're, I'm not talking like they're, they were, you know, believing in God but drinking on the weekends. I'm talking like, they weren't Christians, you know? Their families didn't go to church. They just were, they just were you know, whatever, you know? And this is just, it just has occurred to me. I sat at the table of randoms. Anyway, um, hold that thought for a second. When <laughs> we're all over the place tonight, I've told you this. I wrote this, this out, and I was like, ooh. Um, LAUGHTER if you came two weeks ago, I talked about the subject of hell and my personal wrestling through that. How many of you were there for that night? And when I wrestled through this, the subject of hell, I found myself, like, it wasn't like I tried to do this. I found myself getting these connections and these friendships with these other people in ministry who were kind of on this journey of wrestling through things and thinking through things. And and so anyways, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start reading some more people that are in this other sort of, you know, edgier sort of vein, you know, listen to some of these people talk, hang out with some of these people. And what I realized as I started going down this journey was I was like, oh, like, I, you know, I had thought through and come to a different conclusion about this one subject, but in order for me to be accepted at this new table, I have to buy into all these other things that I actually don't believe. And then I no longer was at the old, I didn't feel like I was allowed by some people at the old table, so I'm like, I am at the table of randoms. You know what I'm talking about? And what I found was that... if you pursue truth to its end it's going to lead you to convictions that are going to be inconvenient like it's not going to be able to align you to a life that's just that's just easy like conviction and truth and being a person on a journey of wayfinding and wanting to like it it will bring you into some inconvenient situations. It will bring you into situations like where I was at, where I can't fit at this table because I'm not willing to buy into all this. I can't. And now i am kind of accepted this table. You know what I'm talking about? And, yes, I've found that there are truths that are just, that are just inconvenient to us. And if you look at the narrative of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, well, really the whole narrative of Scripture, one of the biggest markers of people who are about the truth, people who are convicted and following God into what is right and true, is that they are put into places of inconvenience with that truth all the time. Like, the prophets, it's, I mean, it's a pretty sad story if you read the prophets. 80% of what they say is kind of rejected, and they're they're alone. Like, in the New Testament church, they obviously were birthed into this environment where within 100 years, they were going to be getting literally killed for their faith. And I think on our journey of, like, discovering and standing for what's true, what's good, what's beautiful... It's going to lead us down paths where we're going to have to be a little, you know, awkward. we're going to have we're, we can't just agree with everyone. Like we can allow compromise for the sake of convenience. It's really, it's really so wired in our DNA. We want like if if you you study this, even for the most, you know, combative of people, most people deep down in their heart they. Want to be in agreement with people, like they want to have a have a tribe, have somebody that we can all just high five. And if agreement is a necessity for being at the table, that's probably not a good family. Now, there's some things in the faith that we're going to agree upon, but that doesn't mean that I have to break relationship with people. So. I just want to say this. In our journey of, of seeking truth, embracing truth, expressing it, trying to be those that carry the gospel, we have to be willing to stand for that which puts us in inconvenience. Okay? I'm, I'm gonna show you several ways that I actually see these in scripture, but several elements of inconvenience. Well, first of all, there is there can be culturally inconvenient truths. Um, let me just say this. When Jesus, when Jesus came and is like, you know, I'm actually king and I'm, you know, starting a new kingdom, that, that, that didn't really fly so well with the Roman Empire. <laughs> that's, that's not exactly congruent with. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. If you look in history, if, if we look back, let's say, 100 or 200 years, we can always see. Always see that part of the narrative of the kingdom is directly countercultural. I'm not saying every single thing. I'm not saying that everything is out of alignment. But the, but there is this. If we look to the history of human development, the kingdom message is often challenging what is accepted and okay in our culture. And so it is by nature that the that the that the message of the kingdom is going to cause us to have culturally inconvenient convictions. Can we all say amen? Now we have to be prayerful to ask ourselves where are there contradictions? In some ways culture is a neutral thing. In some ways it's, you know, um, there's dress and food and music and you know all these different elements of culture that are they're just part of a different culture. I love, I've loved One of the nations I love is going to India. I love getting to be a part of Indian worship. It's just different than our worship. And the men dance around a lot more there. And I'm down with that. So (laughs) I'm going to jump in. So there's a cultural, cultural inconvenience. And there are going to be things, there are things, that are going to be increasingly pressing upon us, that if we're going to be people of conviction, we will have to be willing to go against the grain culturally. All I can, all I would say, I'm not, I don't want to be like alarmist about it, but that's going to become more rubber meets the road over the coming years. The, the second thing that that there's an inconvenience in is there can be religiously inconvenient convictions, like. I think for me that's what I encountered with hell. It's like, okay, I have some people that have this stance that I previously stood on that because I have a different stance, now are like arms links with me. But then I go over here into you know the more, you know, open whatever groups and I find I find out that oh, there 's actually a lot of things that if you don't believe if you don't agree with us on here on this, then you can't be part of the club. like I'm just like, okay, guess I'm going to hang out here in no man's land And it's important that we understand that sometimes the truths that God is leading us into are going to be culturally count you know not congruent sometimes they actually will be not they'll be against what is normal for the church or the religious establishment of the time. Like if we look throughout church history, we're gonna see that over and over and over and over again. That very oftentimes those that are carrying kingdom truths are expressing something that is different than what is mainstream at the time. Not, not everything. But many of the things, in many of the occasions, that's the, that's the case. If we didn't have Reformers, we would not have the Reformation. So, um, there's, there's religious inconvenience, there's cultural. Look at I'll just this one scripture, John 12, 42-43. It says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they love human praise more than the praise of God. Wow. You realize that Jesus did challenge the culture and the political system, but even probably more so? He challenged the religious system? We don't, we don't have to pick every battle. We don't have to believe that, that the church or what God has given us is... Completely defunct. I mean, some people get way off into this. Well, everything is just awful. And then some people just want to accept and embrace everything. The truth is most of the time a little bit of both. That there are some things that are deep, that are wrong, that need to be corrected. And there are other things that have life. They're life giving. Amen? Like we know, according to Ephesians, we know that God is going to be perfecting his bride. Till the end of time. So. And there are socially inconvenient truths. This is pretty close to cultural ones. But there are some that like, man, I got some friends that if they knew I thought something about this, it would be like, whew. You know? there's are socially inconvenient truths. It's pretty close to cultural. The last one is that there are personally inconvenient truths. Like, some things that God is leading us into or might be showing us we're a little scared of it because we know what it requires of us we know what it means has to change within us so you get my you get my what i'm talking about if we're going to be if we're going to be true seekers we have to be willing to believe inconvenient things all right My computer is deciding to show up here we go. Good. So here's the deal. There's a call in our life to be truth seekers, truth embracers, truth believers. And I want to talk about that call in our journey of wayfinding as being ongoing truth seekers. But specifically, I want to talk about the qualities that God gives us that we can possess that enable us to be those who are willing to pursue and live out truth and its convictions, um, even to the point of inconvenience. So this, this, does not mean, this does not mean that you have to now become the social media warrior that violently fights against for every piece of truth that exists under heaven. Like, that's a bad posture. Look at, look at Jesus real quick. I, I want to prove this in Jesus. Everybody's like, you can't say something and you don't stand for the truth. I'm like, let's, let's, let's look, look, look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees in Luke 20, verse 1-8. through 8. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Call that a Jesus (laughs) juke. Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Pause. They discussed among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why don't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. Bit of a predicament here. Which inconvenience shall we take? Because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it it was from. (laughs) Jesus said, neither will I tell you. By what authority am I doing these things? Do you know what Jesus could have done here? He could have said, I've been sent by my Father in heaven. And I do this by the authority he's given me. He actually says that in other places. Realize this. He's, there's moments where he's just like, "Yeah, I'm just going to tell you why I'm doing this. And then there's moments where he, I, I don't know to what reason, maybe he knew that he needed to fulfill some more things and, and that it, he needed, it wasn't yet time for him to go to his death and they would have taken him right then. Like There's some other indications of that in Scripture, that he avoided certain places because it wasn't yet his time. But my point is, is he doesn't interact the same way every time. Just because you have some profound insight, some revelation, you have this, it doesn't mean that you have to now um, be the truth warrior in every discussion. Jesus is sometimes very enigmatic in his answers. And sometimes he's very plain. So back to the idea of, of being true seekers. I'm going to read to you John 16:1 through 15. So try to listen with me since we don't have it up here. All this I have told you, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Bit of an inconvenience there. They will do such things because they have not known the Father nor me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own; he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All things, all that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said, the Holy Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay. So, Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples here. But I do believe that this is also applicable to us in that what, what, what Jesus is saying is that you are going to be set on a trajectory as one who will, be, who will be living from what I've already displayed to you, what I've already shown you, what I've already taught you. But there's coming a day where the Spirit's going to come and He's going to keep revealing stuff to you. And it's going to be stuff that, that, that I've said for you. He sets a trajectory of the disciples' lives of receiving the Spirit and being ready to receive in the right time, all that God has for them. He actually says he wants to make all truth known to them. What we see here is there should be a trajectory in our lives of being those who seek truth. Like, there should, that should be propelled within us. Now, that's not... Everybody has different gifting. I, I'm not saying... I've got a friend that reads... 90 books a year, literally 90 books, and some of them are big books, it's not going to happen. I ain't going to be reading 90 books a year. <laughs> That's the grace that God has given him, and it's just not a grace that God's given me. I'm, a, I'm actually a really, I, I like to process things in slow and, and understand them fully. Um, my, my 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 point is that all of us have different giftings, right? Like we're all called to be generous, but some are probably going to be more generous. We're all called to be prophetic. But there's some who are going to be more prophetic. We're all called to know the Word deeply, but there's some who are going to know it more deeply. So this isn't equal. You can't just say, all right, everybody spend this much time. <laughs> you can't, it's, it's, not, it's not equally proportioned but it's proportioned to all of us to be in a trajectory on our lives of being those who are seeking truth by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the number one key, I'm going to talk to you briefly about the tools that God has given us, which we've talked about. We've used different people's lives to demonstrate this. But, But the most important, it's not even, I shouldn't even call it a tool. It's not a tool. The most important thing that we do in our journey of being truth seekers is that we do it with God, that we do it with the Spirit, because that's what Jesus says. It's so good that you do it with the Spirit. It's so dang good that Jesus says it's better for them, for the disciples who are seeing the dude face to face. It is better for you that I leave. There are Things that you cannot bear yet, but when the spirit of truth comes, you will be able to receive them. So the, the most important thing or attribute or tool or whatever, pick the most important thing that we can do is, is that we be, become people who are spirit-led. And, and the next point I'm going to talk about is the scriptures, but even more important than the scriptures is God, Okay? We've said this at times. I've heard other people say it. But the, but the Trinity isn't Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's the, it's the Spirit. Like, and He has to guide us into all truth. Amen? So so the, the next thing is, is another tool, obviously, is the Scriptures. Like, all Scripture is God breathed useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. We need to submit our lives to the Scriptures and our journey of truth. Even when the Scriptures causes us to come to conclusions or convictions that don't fit our church backgrounds. Like we have to be willing to go on a journey with God. And in the process of the journey, we're going to have teachers of the scriptures that we glean from and we're going to glean from it. Like we don't, it isn't about the worst thing to say is, "Well, I just I trust in the Holy Bible and that that's it." That's what you really mean by that is I trust in the Holy Bible and my persuasion of it. Like like, it's not just me, just Jordan here studying the Bible, and I'm, I tune everybody out. It's that I'm faithful to st- study to the extent and the capability that I can, and to glean from others who have different capabilities, and different giftings, and different expertise. Are you with me? So, so we could spend five weeks, ten weeks, a year talking about how to say the scriptures, the, Point being, I'm making tonight is it's a tool, it's it's a gift from God that we have to be willing to surrender our lives to. You know, I heard somebody say that we don't, you don't, we don't master the text, but we're mastered by the text. That we, that we, that we enter into it, that we allow it to influence us from within, and that we, and that we look for community and teachers and other people to help us on that journey. All right. The the third tool we have is community. Like community is is a is an incredible tool in our journey of truth. Like, I don't get to sit over here and and read my Bible alone if I have... So, there's, been, there's been a hundred times, a thousand times that I've come away thinking something and I share it with somebody else and they were like, well, what about this? I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that probably wasn't the right conclusion. <laughs> like, are you with me? Like... There's sometimes this we feel like okay if I just if I just read the Bible I'm gonna get it all but the reality is, is you also have to be submitted to community in your journey of truth. With me, then there's an, then there's um, I would call a broader community which is the tradition of like history of the church and the broader global you know contribution that's present like. I'm thankful that I get to, and not everybody can study this to equal degree, but it's helpful as you get time to understand in our journey of discovering truth that there's been a narrative going on for a couple thousand years of Christians reading the Bible, sharing their commentary, and we glean from that. Not only that, but we have the global body of Christ. One, one of the things that makes me nervous about on this idea of wayfinding, one of the things that makes me nervous with people is when there, when there's very, there's a myopicness. When it's like they only glean from one stream of the body. It's like you know, you know, I'm only going to listen to things that are charismatic, you know, or I'm only going to listen to whatever. Like man, like do you realize that there's beauty and truth and revelation that is not equally proportioned among the whole, every person. You can't look at every teacher out there and say every person's saying something good. But there's certainly a lot of places and a lot of people that have, um, have things to say that we would never think of. Yeah, I, I like to have, I, I get this, man, it's such a gift from the Lord. I get to have these discussions. I have some very close friends who live, who are Christians, who live on all different continents, and so I get to have this opportunity of flushing through something with somebody who can't, grew up in a completely different culture than me. You know, like my my buddy that you know we had in you know uh, uh, the summer he um, stayed with us. He, you know, Julian and, and katia Katya. Julian grew up on the wrong side of apartheid in South South Africa. Only thing he knew growing up was oppression, and like. Like, when we get to, like, talk about the scriptures, he has insights that I don't have. You with me? So there's a, there's a tradition. There's culturally different. We, we just assume sometimes that we've just got it all figured out. But, yeah, anyway. Um, of course, there's prayer. I, I, I constantly asking God, hey, help me. But I think that prayer should be done in all of this. Like, everything. Prayer could just be... You could just put prayer over your entire life and everything be done in prayer. Like, like I'm constantly asking the question in a lunch meeting, in a sermon. Um, you know what's funny? Like, oh, I'll, I'll save that story for a minute. I got... It, it, uh, <laughs> yes. Use prayer. <laughs> um, okay, even other thinkers. Like... I've gotten, I've read a little bit of the Quran and a little bit of, of you know, you know, listened to Buddhist teachers. I've, I've listened to secular psychologists. I've listened to all these things. Not because I think that I'm going to find some other way of, than Jesus. It's that, like, different people have thoughts that I can, I can glean from. Now, some thinking and teaching is, like, just demonic. Like... That's a reality too. There is demonic. We cannot have this idea that everything is just equally good, and we're just going to be open to everything, and it's all going to help us. That's not true. There are some things that are like, that are just demonic. But then there's actually things that you can glean from people. One of my favorite things I talked to this, talked to this guy who was in India, who, um, who had studied a lot of. Hindu stuff, and there's this. There was this ancient Hindu prophecy, or you'd call it Hindu, whatever, that prophesied that a spotless lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world, that they might be forgiven. Actually, it was actually from my understanding, it was illegal to own it, like, or to possess it. So I don't know. Like somebody somewhere in India, six thousand years ago, was was like was getting something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> My point is is that truth can reveal itself in ways that we don't expect. The key is we always keep coming back to God, asking Him help. Okay. So, one of the things that tradition has yielded us is the creeds. We have things like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasius Creed, that are like these... Um, key foundational confessions that give this like great framework for um, when you hear the word dogma like it has a terrible connotation now but maybe initially the the, the idea is like these are the things that the essence the essentials of Christianity and if you go look at the Apostles Creed you go look at these things it's, it's more minimalistic than you would think we've sort of read the Apostles' Creed a bunch of times here, but like there there are some essentials to the faith, and I'm thankful that we have, you know, the scriptures ultimately and these creeds to, you know, and other things to help give us like boundaries, you know, but like one of the things, and this is where I kind of want to camp and finish at, one of the things that we often do is, I hate minimalizing these terms, but i talked about them in week two. How many of you remember I talked about ontology and epistemology? This is so simplifying it, but ontology essentially is the study of knowledge, what we know. Epistemology, sort of how we know what we know. That doesn't fully get at it, but we'll go with that. Um, What I've found in reading the scriptures and reading people is that our, our epistemology, how we hold and believe what we know is just as important as what we know. Like, we, we can't just have the right boundaries. We also have to, we can't just have the, like, there's a, there's a posture of our soul when we, are, when we are in this journey of truth-seeking that allows us not just to have the right like ontological boundaries, but to have the right character boundaries within us that allow us to pursue truth. And so I want to talk about... I was... I was uh, probably three years ago I was listening to this TED talk and I've referenced this TED talk a couple times but this psychologist was talking about confirmation bias. Simply put, confirmation bias is when you always look for information that confirms your existing bias. We all do this without even knowing that we do this. Sometimes we do it overtly, intentionally, but m- most of the time it's things that's just like, we just have biases that are in us, and we, we gather data that supports those existing biases. And so I was listening to her talk about it, and she was talking about all these different stories and giving examples, and she was talking about how intelligence doesn't really help you overcome confirmation bias because really intelligent people can build really great arguments for wrong thinking. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, so I was really curious. She was like, so she was studying the psychology of this, and she was like, you know, the, the number one and two things that help people escape from, bi- from confirmation bias, and number one, the most key thing, is humility. I was like, what the heck? Like, what's more kingdom than that? Yeah. She says humility. She says, Secondly, curiosity. And so Kevin, Zell, and I were, t- were having lunch one day, and uh, Kevin has this way of pushing me, and we get to flesh through things. Every lunch that we schedule for an hour ends up being four hours. And we, we just sit there, and we maw, and, it was, and we're pushing through this thing. And, and we're like, how do you help people get these boundaries of pursuing truth? You remember we were over there at the, uh, the East Dallas Sandwich Shop? Anyway, and it just hit me. I remember this... I remember this TED talk. I'm like, oh, you know what I can help people with is not just like, because the creeds have already been written, the scriptures have been written. I, like, I don't, I'm not making any alterations to that. So what I can help people with is the, is the qualitative things, the character things, the posture in which we go about our life discovering truth, will be equally as important to what we know. Actually having the right posture will, will help lead us to the right conclusions. And the first one that I thought of was humility. Like When we are humble people in our journey of discovering what is true, when we're not arrogant, when we don't assume that we have the answer, when we don't assume that we're on the, on the right team and the right whatever. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of God. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I I love the fact that this psychologist said, The number one thing you can do to be good at knowing what is true is not being intelligent, it's being humble. I mean, man, that was just confirming. This is when people who aren't necessarily Christian thinkers have thinking that actually confirm things that God has already said. The, the second thing I will say, so I'm talking to, I want, you. if you miss, if you get anything tonight, get this, this part, and we're going to finish here. If, if you have humility, that's, that's the first key. The second, the second thing I want to throw out there is the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Proverbs nine ten says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Listen, the, every every facet of Kingdom truth is every facet of tr- Kingdom truth is is part of the diamond of love. Like love is the is the it's it's like it's the essence of who God is, and so. It's not like we mix these. It's it's fearing him is a part of the diamond. Like we want to experience his love, his grace, his mercy. In it. But but you know it's like scripture says it says do not fear um, do not fear the evil one, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Like that's the one you should fear. The one who is like all powerful. Like. I think this is a message of love and grace. And that 100% is. But, but there's also like, I'm aware that He is great. I'm aware that He is powerful. And I want to, I don't want to be found to be against Him. Amen? Okay. Well, this week, this weekend, it wasn't a big thing, but the Lord drew to mind an area personal um what's the word compromise that i was allowing in my life and he just he, he brought me to a place of repentance and i went to andrea and i was like you don't have to worry there's not going to be a big thing coming out about me so <laughs> i'm just being transparent with you i went to andrea i was like oh this i realized that i need to i need to deal with this and she was like yeah you need to and so it sort of stung it sort of stung for a few days in fact the sting was still there until we entered into worship I, I mean it was literally still sitting with me because godly sorrow produces repentance that's not an Old Testament passage that's a New Testament passage like I, I, I he, he brought me pretty quickly back into his love but, but I know he let just a little bit of sorrow linger there. Because he wants me to be whole. Fear of the Lord helps us in not compromising. That's a posture of our heart that, that we recognize he's 100% for us. He's always, doesn't matter. doesn't matter how far you go, he's always for us. But, but I have some respect of him. Yeah? Nobody wants to talk about that one anymore. Um, so faithfulness is another posture. Of the heart, like like the lady said, oh, uh, the lady said, humility was the number one thing that would uh, enable you to escape confirmation bias. The second thing she said was this: this like curiosity, this continued drive to know. And I just look at that as faithfulness to keep pursuing what is good, beautiful, and true. Matthew 7, 7-8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Like, you, <laughs> you should be apprehensive, you know, getting counsel from people who, don't, who aren't on a trajectory of continuing to pursue. Like, there's, I'll tell you this, this is a side, total side point. People who are constantly changing their mind about things, I, I'm leery about listening to those people. People who, are always, who never change their mind about anything, I'm leery about listening to those people. Like, the reality is, is over my life and journey in Christ... Like, I'm not going to be tossed to and fro by the winds of every doctrine, but I have to be one who is faithful to pursue. If I could keep this posture in my heart that's like a child that's looking to the heavens, always in wonder, always ready for the revelation that God has to continue pushing us further, continue unveiling himself. If I keep that posture of faithfulness to pursue, then God will keep changing me. He'll keep molding me. He'll keep pruning me. He'll do all of these things. Like, you know the promise of the gospel working in your life is that you will what? Change. Right? Yeah. Peter encounters it. He's, he's already preached the gospel at, 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 in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And then in Acts 10, he realizes that there's this man from Joppa who is who is getting the Holy Spirit, who's not a Hebrew, and he's like, oh my gosh, I now realize the gospel's for the whole world, not just the Hebrews. Like, he's walked with Jesus for three years. He's preached the gospel and seen 3,000 saved. And then in Acts 10, he gets another revelation that that the grace of God is bigger than what he thought it was. He's on a journey. Right? Paul... I mean, this dude is like studied the Torah like nobody you know you've never known. He studied the Hebrew scriptures, and then in a moment, God, oh, I thought I was for you, but you're, I'm I'm against you, right? Okay, so I'm I'm zinging through. These are qualitative things. This isn't like doctrinal in the sense of like the Apostles' Creed. These are the boundaries of our soul. Like postures that we carry, and I believe if we carry these kingdom postures, they will help us to not be deceived, but to find what's good, beautiful, true. So humility, fear of the Lord, faithfulness to pursue. I'm going to just quickly hit on this one: honesty. We have we have a kid right now who's who's struggling with honesty, and um, Andrew and I had this conversation with kid, and and. said, listen, you can do a lot of bad things, but if you're not honest with us, we can't help you. We don't know what's going on unless you're honest with us. Be honest with us and we can help you. Honesty with God, honesty with yourself, honesty with others. I really am starting to not like the word vulnerability because I think honesty is actually a better word. Like what? What it what it boils down to is a lot of times when people aren't vulnerable, people they're not honest. I'm not saying that they tell lies, but there's more to honesty than not telling a lie. There's more to integrity than not uttering a lie. Being an honest person helps us in our community to be one who finds truth. Okay, last one that I'm going to land on. This is a heart posture that will keep us in the wayfinding journey of knowing what is true, is a heart of obedience. I was listening to N.T. Wright this week, and he he talked about how truth, the kind of truth that Jesus gives us, isn't the truth you can put in your pocket. (laughs) It's the truth that drives you to obedience into the world. So there was this point in church history, I've referenced these guys before called the Anabaptists, the radical reformers, and guys like John Calvin, mainly and even Martin Luther a little bit, the Anabaptists were like so a lot of if you go back to the history of the church at that point, there was a lot of violence, like like they killed guys like John Huss, they tried to kill people that were reformers. they just burned them at the stake. and so one of the things that came out of the radical Reformation, the Anabaptists were that they, um, they were believers in, in nonviolence. They, be, they were believers in, um, in not defending themselves to the point of death. And so Calvin was trying to have these guys killed. Like literally, like, you know, these people that we hold in generation, Calvin was trying to have these guys killed. And so they had this, um, they were wrestling with this, how can this guy be so smart and so helpful they were having this discussion. How can this guy be so helpful in revealing who God is and yet like not and miss this, this basic thing and, and like wanting to kill us, like l- literally killing us? And and so I was leadi- listening to this on this, this other podcast earlier this week and there was this statement that the Anabaptist had said that just jumped out at me. And it said, um, the mind will fail to conceive that which is the heart is unwilling to obey. The mind will fail to conceive that which, is the, that which the heart is unwilling to obey. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? So so psychology's actually mostly proven this to be true, is that we will make all sorts of rationalizations for things that, that deep down we know are wrong to try to live at peace with ourselves. It's true. This happens culturally, anthropologically, personally. Like There are lots and lots of rationalizations to keep us from the actual truth. I'll tell you what. When we consume truth, but we don't obey truth, we will will become blinded people. Until you were willing to not just seek it out, but we're willing to embody it and obey it. It, It's like the window will shut. Because God in his mercy, I mean, you know, what does he say? He says, too much is given, much is required. Like, God actually holds us accountable for what he reveals to us. And so if we become unable to continue down the path of obedience to truth, he in his mercy will, will, will hide and conceal further truth from us. It's a mercy thing, but, but this is—you see this all throughout the Gospels—the the, the, the hardness of the Pharisees and the religious leaders' fault actually is the thing which blinds them. They become blinded to the truth because they aren't ready to respond to the truth. Do not—this is my encouragement to you—in this journey, as we are, as we are listening. We, we live in a time where, where everybody can listen to a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever. And as we're listening to people, if you, don't, if you see people that are unwilling to obey truth, that are unwilling to be propelled by truth, you should be cautious of letting those people influence your life. And you should, we should personally examine ourselves if God might be bringing us to a place of repentance, where He's saying, "Hey, there's this thing that I've been speaking to you about; that it's time that you deal with." And as and as we step into that obedience, it's like the river of truth starts flowing through our lives. Obedience is this posture of the soul. It's not that we get it right every time. God's totally fine with a bazillion mistakes. You know, like Jesus is the forgive seven times 70. He's fine with that. But as long as our heart remains in the I'm willing to be propelled by your truth and not just be the consumer of your truth, then we will, we will become a greater embodier of it. We'll become a greater seeker of it. Like obedience is part of the stewardship of the truth that God reveals. It's part of it. Amen? All right. I have no exciting ending. My notes are over. <laughs> I want to have you stand, and I'm going to, pray. I want to have us pray a prayer. And then I'm going to say a poem.
1: <laughs> so you do have an exciting ending.
0: Oh, I do, yeah. I you are honest. <laughs> I've asked us to pray this a couple times during this, this series. We don't have a screen, so you'll just have to repeat this after me. Say this, Lord, help me to trust in you. Lord, help me to trust in you. Lord, help me to lean not on my own understanding. Lord, help me to lean not on my own understanding. Lord, help me to acknowledge you in all my ways. Lord, help me to acknowledge you in all my ways. And let me be confident that you will and are leading my path.
1: Let me be confident that you will and are leading my path.
0: I'm going to let the grammar on that last one, but.
1: Make a longer one,
0: see if I can get it. All right. That's the prayer. You can sit down, I'm going to say my poem. You know, have you ever had one of those meals? I love going to Pecan Lodge. Yes. Oh, yes, praise the Lord. Jeremy just went with me to Pecan Lodge last week, and he hadn't eaten it before. And I was like, what's wrong with you? And was, first of all, second of all, he was like, well, what sides are the sides to get? And I was like, you don't need any. Just, just order the meat. That's, that's all you need. Sometimes my point here. Sometimes you don't need additional sides. Sometimes the simple prayer is good enough. We don't have to have anything flowery. <laughs> you don't need any sides. But I am going to give you a poetry. I'm going to give you a poem now. All right, so this is a poem. It's loosely connected to this topic. Loosely connected. And, But I felt like I was supposed to read it to you tonight. I've read this poem a hundred times in the last year. Tyler gave me a... I should say Tyler and Camille. But Tyler, yeah... Tyler had a specific poem in this book of poetry by Rudyard Kipling that he thought would be meaningful to me. Is that fair to say? Yeah. OK. <laughs> and anyway, it's called If by Rudyard Kipling, who wrote uh, the Jungle Book. And when, we were, when Kevin Sipes and I went to India, we were driving like 15 hours into the jungle. And one, one point on this path, I swear there were 100 monkeys on the side of the road. And I thought I did not want the car to pull over right here, like we're gonna die by monkey attack. <laughs> but I thought to myself, this must be where Mowgli lives. Like anyway, that's just a completely random story. But I want to read to you the poem because I think that is it is good on the journey of finding the way. If you can keep your head, <laughs> if you can keep your head when all about you if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same if you can bear to hear the truth that you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither friends, no foes, nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run yours is the earth and everything that's in it what's more you'll be a man my son there you go that's not the gospel but it's pretty good
1: Ryan you up all right I feel like I could sum up this last hour with just one word. I'm just kidding. I can't. So good. Thank you, Jordan. Um, let's go ahead and just grab this stuff first. So give Jordan and Andrea a second, and uh, everyone just come up and get the the special snack. That's what my kids call it. The special snack. <laughs> A few years ago when I was in Thailand, I met a guy and uh, we we're sitting at this restaurant and I was listening to him talk to the owner and I just kept thinking like he sounds like he's from Dallas. You know, I'm in Thailand. And so after the meal I go over and I meet him and sure enough he's from Dallas. And so then I asked the question, well where from in Dallas? And he goes, oh, Dallas, Dallas. And I was like, oh okay. But we became good friends. And this past weekend, um, well, a couple of weeks ago, his, his dad passed away. And so this past week, I went to that funeral. And his dad was a deacon in the Catholic Church. And so I felt like it was a really beautiful glimpse into the tradition of the Catholic Church. And I also felt like I had a really cool moment where, where the Holy Spirit just convicted me of some judgments that I'd made towards Catholics. But at the end we did communion and they make some statements in the, in the little flyer that they, that they had about communion and what the Catholics believe about communion. They believe that, that through prayer and inviting Jesus into the moment that the bread actually becomes the, the body of Christ, and the wine actually becomes the blood of Christ and so it was and, and they make this statement, and they say that so if you're not a Catholic and you haven't had the first um, communion as a Catholic, then we ask you to you you we invite you to come forward for a blessing uh, and so I did that, and it was it was pretty neat but I just I was so glad that I had that moment, obviously a I wish it was under a different different circumstance, but but just to see how other people are doing it, you know and I think that speaks toward a lot of what Jordan shared tonight is just appreciating how other people are doing it and I don't know what I believe to be honest with you about the significance of the cracker and the juice. What I know some people use more like a bread type thing and and in some churches they use real wine and there's in Thailand sometimes the crackers are nori seaweed flavored. You know, <laughs> there's just all kinds of different ways. But here's what I know. That Jesus died so that we could know that we're made right with the Father. And that like what you shared earlier, Zane, when you talked about justice going forth, like God's justice is not people being paid back for their wrongs. It's not recompense. It's not anything like that. It's, it's people being made right and being able to stand in, in right standing with the Father. And that's what his blood and his body broken for us did. Father, we're so thankful that because your son came into this world, we know that your heart is not, that you're not put off by sin and by sinners, that your heart is moved toward them, that you've always been pursuing humanity in the midst of our flaws and imperfections and You've always been pursuing us. Thank you that, Jesus, you are obedient even unto death, even unto death on a cross, allowing your skin to be ripped off, allowing your blood to be shedded, to just show us that we're worth it to you, to show us that we have been forgiven, that we are loved, thank you for the work of the cross i ask you to just reveal to each of us maybe in this moment maybe in the week in the week ahead areas that that maybe we've misjudged you thoughts that we've had toward you about you that are wrong I pray that a significant shift would happen in all of us. Just some some little thing that we believed that we would realize that you're so much better than what we believed. Draw us deeper into your love. In Jesus' name. You can take the.